Our Bible reading today is from Luke 9, 1 to 11. If you want to stand, please, for the reading of God's Word. <clears throat> One day, Jesus called together his 12 disciples and gave them power and authority to cast out all demons and to heal all diseases. It was howling at me. <laughs> then he sent them out to tell everyone about the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Take nothing for your journey, he instructed them. Don't take a walking stick, a traveler's bag, food, money, or even a change of clothes. Wherever you go, stay in the same house until you leave town. And if a town refuses to welcome you, shake its dust from your feet as you leave to show that you have abandoned those people to their fate. So they began their circuit of the villages, preaching the good news and healing the sick. When Herod Antipas, the ruler of Galilee, heard about everything Jesus was doing, he was puzzled. Some were saying that John the Baptist had been raised from the dead. Others thought Jesus was Elijah or one of the other prophets risen from the dead. I beheaded John, Herod said, so who is this man about whom I hear such stories? And he kept trying to see him. When the apostles returned, they told Jesus everything they had done. Then he slipped quietly away with them toward the town of Bethsaida. But the crowds found out where he was going and they followed him. He welcomed them and taught them about the kingdom of God, and he healed those who were sick. This is God's word to us. If you haven't already turned in your Bibles to Luke chapter 9, and turn there, we're going to look at the first 11 verses of chapter 9 today. And uh, next week we'll start in chapter 9 and verse 10, because there's a bit of an overlap here that we need to kind of uh, navigate as, Jesus, as this uh, missionary journey that, that Jesus sends the 12 apostles out on to wraps up, and as they come back, and as, as there's a transition here, um, there's some, some key things that are happening. What Luke is doing, kind of in a big picture uh, perspective, now remember we're reading the writings of Luke. Um, he is telling the story of Jesus, but he is also a literary narrative artist who is telling a story in a compelling way. And so as we look at this text, and as we look at chapter 9, chapter 9 is really a, a major pivot point in Luke's gospel. When we get to chapter 9 and verse 51, Luke is going to say something that none of the other gospel writers say, and it is that Jesus resolutely sets out for Jerusalem. He turns his face toward Jerusalem, and then from chapter 9, 51, all the way to chapter 19 and 28, we have a, a, a whole section that is unique to Luke in many ways, and it's called the travel narrative, where Jesus is going from Jerusalem, or from Galilee, all the way to Jerusalem. I think I've said this a number of times before. I mentioned this when we did the Gospel of Mark a number of years ago, that Matthew, Mark, and Luke really give us one journey of Jesus from Galilee to Jerusalem. At John's Gospel, we get multiple trips and uh, different Sabbaths and different festivals that Jesus attended in Jerusalem. But for what's called the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, there is one journey to Jerusalem. And in Luke's Gospel, this is really the theological heart of the message he wants us to, to hear is in this travel narrative. The main question that has been, uh, been dealt with in the first eight chapters and into chapter nine has been the question that Herod asks 
in this text as well. Who is this? Who's this Jesus person? And that's the key question. And remember, Luke is writing to Theophilus. You go back to chapter 1, verse 1 to 4. Luke says, in my, this is what I'm doing. A bunch of people have undertaken to write down a bunch of stuff about everything that Jesus has said and done. I thought it was a good idea that, that I'd pull all of this together and I'd write for you, Theophilus, a, a very orderly account of everything that's been fulfilled among us so that you would know for certain the things that you have been taught. So that's Luke's purpose. He wants us to know the answer to this question, who is Jesus? That is Luke's purpose. <clears throat> also, as we hit this transition point in this journey to Jerusalem, we'll see that in Luke's gospel, and this is even zooming out a little bigger because there is, there's 1st Luke and 2nd Luke, also known as Luke and Acts. And they're kind of the same uh, on the same trajectory, but the, the journey in Luke's gospel is Jesus going from Galilee through Samaria to Judea to Jerusalem. And then in chapter one of Acts, Jesus turns it around and says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And so it kind of forms a, a very interesting narrative arc where in, in the gospel, we're narrowing down to Jerusalem, and in the book of Acts, we're going from Jerusalem out to the rest of the world. And it hinges on the resurrection and the personal presence of Jesus Christ and his commission to his church to spread the gospel everywhere. So Luke and Acts really kind of need to be read together in this whole thing. So I guess after we're done, Luke will go into Acts, and then, you know, maybe in, by the time I retire, we'll be done. <laughs> Anyway, that's kind of the overview of, of the big picture. The text we get today is Jesus is starting to set up the context for this to happen and, and for this whole story to take a, a, a turn and a new development. Up until this point, Jesus is the one who has been exercising authority over demons, over nature, over disease, and over death, and that was chapter 8 and actually everything before that. He's the one who has been announcing the kingdom and the power of God. And now, it changes. Verse one, he called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. Now very interesting, this is repeated four times in this passage that we're reading today. And, and, and Luke is wanting us to see that there is so, something very specific going on here. We've got power over demons, so four times he says the same thing, and it's always in this order. Power, proclaiming the kingdom, preaching the gospel, proclaiming the kingdom. And when I saw this, I thought, oh, that's interesting. So having power over the, the demonic is to announce the kingship of Jesus. That Jesus is king over all. And this is the good news. This is the gospel. And then healing, 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 healing. Jesus is sending the 12 out to proclaim the kingdom, the kingship, the rule, the reign of Jesus Christ over all powers and all authorities. And in that, he is bringing compassionate restoration to his people as well. There is kingdom and there is compassion. And this is the message 
of Jesus. This is also what you could call a synonymous parallelism in, in Hebrew poetry. Often things are paired together to communicate one thing. And so we've got kind of the A section that's saying, this is, this is the power and this is the kingdom. And then we've got healing over and over again in all of these verses. It's just this repeated kind of, um, it's like the chorus to the song, right? Over and over again, we're hearing, proclaim the kingdom and be compassionate to the people in pain around you. These are new creation signposts. This is kingdom of God over all signposts, saying the king is coming. And restoration is in the name of Jesus Christ. As Jesus started his ministry, we always come back to this because this is so programmatic for Jesus and for Luke's emphasis on this. In chapter 4, Jesus' very first sermon, he takes the scroll of Isaiah and he unrolls it and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And Jesus has been demonstrating that, and now he is giving 12 apostles the authority to take it further. But notice that it is delegated authority. It is delegated authority. Jesus gives it to them. They don't have it apart from him giving. And this, this is important. Michael Card in his commentary says this. The disciples will not be able to accomplish it on their own power or authority. Success in ministry will come to them in proportion to their own acknowledgments of weakness. Success in ministry will come to them in proportion to their own acknowledgement of weakness. Look at how Jesus sets them up for success in ministry. Now, we're, you know, uh, this week the finance team is meeting to discuss uh, finances for the next year, and so this does not apply to this situation. I hope. <laughs> Jesus says, don't take anything. Like, you're going into ministry, you don't need nothing. <laughs> I mean, one of our major expenses is staff wages, so... <clears throat> This is a short-term mission-specific limitation for the apostles at this point. Take nothing for your journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, and do not have two tunics. So you're getting ready to go on holidays. What do you do? Pack. Overpack. Right? Here's Jesus sending these guys out, and he's just saying, don't take anything. Not even a change of clothes. Like, really? Like... They, I mean, they obviously aren't taking kids with them. Like, no snacks. Like, like that's the bread thing. The, the little belt pouch. Don't, don't even take money with you. Like, absolute dependence. Uh, James Edwards in his commentary says, Jesus sends them into mission with a calculated deficit. He sends them on mission with a calculated deficit. So what are they to learn in the midst of this? Well, wherever... 
And the, the next verse, verse 4, and whatever house you enter, stay there and from there depart. So, first century Judaism, hospitality is like, hospitality is a spiritual discipline, even in the New Testament, but in first century Judaism, when, when uh, pilgrims would come into town, it was kind of your duty as uh, people in a town to welcome travelers into your home and provide for them. So he's saying, trust in God's provision through God's people. Trust in God's provision through God's people. Receive God's provision for you in community. And don't go house to house, you know, and this, and this is kind of like, well, you know, this place is okay, but wow, they got, they got a hot tub over there, so I'm going to pack up and I'm going to go to that house because they like me too and I want the hot tub. And then it's like, oh, but they got even better stuff over here. You know, Jesus is like, no, no, don't, don't shop around. Take the hospitality that's, that's given you and just stick with it. And maybe build relationship with the people in that house that you're going to be in with. Stay there and go from there. So he's saying, you know, go into this town, preach the gospel, heal, and when people welcome you into their home, just stick with them. Just stick with them. Depend on God's provision and receive God's provision through the community. These are the ministry parameters Jesus is giving for this specific short-term mission. And then he says this, because there's a chance they're going to be rejected, right? Wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake the dust off from, from your feet as a testimony against them. And Jesus is saying, remember, the fruit of ministry does not depend on you. And we all need to remember this. Don't force, don't coerce, don't, don't get into major arguments, don't try to push an agenda. The fruit does not depend on you. Announce the gospel. Stay in the place where you're welcomed and be compassionate to those who I bring across your path that need help and healing. <clears throat> be a minister of compassion and concern in the word regardless of the response. Shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And this is a prophetic symbol of pending judgment that because you're rejecting Jesus, someday the judgment will come. But it's not for us to, to be the judges and to throw people under the bus. Just simply move on. Just simply move on. Remember Jesus said he was here to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and he cuts off the quotation before the next phrase from Isaiah which is, and the day of the vengeance of our God. And I think that is a deliberate move on Jesus' part. In this day and age, and since the time of Jesus, we are called to announce the kingdom of God in compassion for people. Proclaim the kingdom and bring healing and wholeness for those who need it. Receive from him. <clears throat> And so this is, this is good stuff for us too, right? This is kind of good ministry parameters in a, in a very specific way. Depend on God's provision as you're working and whatever God has called you to do and however he has called you to share the, the, the love that he has shown in your heart, you show it to, to other people, but do it based on God providing the, the way and the means 
and in community with people. Stick with people. The fruit does not depend on you. So don't force it, but minister with concern and compassion. And so they went. And Daryl Bach in his commentary says this, when it comes to gospel and evangelism and, and healing and how this is a missional pairing, evangelism requires engagement. It often requires serving people as well as preaching to them. Telling unbelievers that God cares should be reinforced by evidence of such caring. Telling unbelievers that God cares should be reinforced by evidence of such caring. And the only way we can, we can really do that is by getting into people's lives, right? You have to know people's needs. You have to know their hurts. You have to know their struggles. You have to know their journey. Don't just shout the gospel at them and then back off and have nothing to do with them. We need to be involved. It requires engagement. It requires relationship. And so this is the first mission that Jesus has for his apostles. And then we get this little kind of commercial, right? It's kind of commercial time. In Mark's gospel, it's really long commercial. When we get to this thing about Herod the Tetrarch, heard about all that was happening. He was perplexed because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead or that Elijah had appeared and others that one of the prophets of old had risen and Herod said, John, I beheaded, but who is this that I hear such things? And he sought to see him. End of commercial. In Mark's gospel, it's 20 verses long, and it tells us the whole story of how John got beheaded. Here it's condensed into this one important point. Who is this? It's the question that the disciples asked when Jesus calmed the storm. Who is this? Who is this? Now, the apostles get a picture of this, but Herod probably has other ideas in mind. We only have this from Luke's perspective, and we only have the story of Herod uh, interviewing Jesus in chapter 23 and verse 8 during the trial. Matthew, Mark, and John don't tell us that Herod was involved in in the judgment of Jesus before the crucifixion. Only Luke tells us this. And remember that Luke's got an inside source on this, and we met her back in chapter 8. Joanna, the wife of Cusa, who was one of Herod's household managers. So we have a bit of an in- interior window into maybe what, uh, what Herod's saying, what he's thinking. And he sought to see him. That's an interesting thing, isn't it? I mean, we don't know how much longer this is or where, what point in the story this really is. This is the, the, the long journey to Jerusalem. But, but here early on in, in Luke's story, Herod wants to see Jesus. But why does he want to see him? What's the motivation for Herod to see Jesus? If we go to Mark's gospel, he, lo- he kind of liked hanging out with John, right? He'd bring him out of the prison cell because he enjoyed hearing about him. But John always challenged him to change because he was living a sinful life. And so he just, as soon as we got, he got to that, he was just back in your prison cell, 
I'm not going to change. I just, I just like hearing your tidbits and your prophetic voice. At the end of Luke's gospel in chapter 23, verse 8, we read that, that Herod desperately has been wanting to see Jesus for a long time so that he might do some miracle and astound him. Herod wanted a show. Herod wanted to see something astounding. Herod wanted excitement. He wanted entertainment. He didn't really want to see Jesus. He was curious for all the wrong reasons. Again, uh, James R. Edwards in the Pillar New Testament commentary says, the question, which is not included in any other gospel, essentially repeats the question of the disciples. It is the right question, but as the parable of the sower repeatedly emphasized, its answer can only be received by hearing, not seeing. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Herod just wanted to see fireworks. He wanted to see something. He wanted a show. He wanted something marvelous. He wanted something he could point to, grab onto, something physically uh, wow. He wanted the adrenaline rush. And if you look in Luke chapter 23, verse 8, when Jesus refused to play by his rules, what happened? He got vindictive and furious. His curiosity became vindictive. If Jesus won't provide him with the spectacle that he wants, he will make Jesus a spectacle. And the robe and the crown of thorns and the mocking and the striking happen. 23 verse 10 and 11. So he questioned him at some length, but he made no answer. And the chief priests and the scribes stood by vehemently accusing him. And Herod with his soldiers treated him with contempt and mocked him. Then arraying him in splendid clothing, he sent him back to Pilate. And Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day. Before this, they had been at enmity with each other. He wanted to see a show. And when Jesus didn't perform for him, he got angry and vindictive. And this happens to us sometimes too. When God doesn't come through the way we want, we get angry, we get grumpy, and we, we want God to do something. And he doesn't, he doesn't have to jump to our demands. See, this is what the whole passage is about, that Jesus is the king. He has authority over everything. And it is demonstrated through compassion, the healing power of King Jesus over nature and demon and disease and death. Really, Luke's gospel is an extended commentary on the passage from Isaiah that Jesus read. Isaiah 61, 1-2. Which, in the larger context of Isaiah, is a story is the prophecy of restoration of the covenant people to be a light to the nations. And this is what it's all about. And this is really kind of the conclusion that we're coming to in this, in this chapter, in this passage today. That the apostles were called to proclaim the kingdom. The gospel is to proclaim the authority of Jesus. Right? And this, this is something we, we sometimes need to back up. The gospel isn't just what it does for us. The gospel is the kingship of Jesus. 
The gospel isn't that we can go to heaven when we die. The gospel is that Jesus is king. The gospel isn't that we're forgiven for our sins. The gospel is Jesus is king. He is authority. He is power. He is the one to whom every knee will bow and every tongue will confess Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's the ultimate thing. The question is, is whether we bow our knees now or whether we are forced to bow our knees at the end of time when we face him. It is the proclaiming of the kingship of Jesus and his authority over everything, over our lives and over our world. So proclaiming the kingdom demonstrated through the healing power of King Jesus over nature, demons, and disease. And this is to be a light to the nations so that they would all come under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Well, the apostles have been sent out. They've been delegated authority. They've been called to depend on God's provision and receive God's provision in community. They were told, don't, don't make it. The, the, the fruit of this ministry isn't dependent on you. It's dependent on this power and authority that I've given you and the message I've sent you out to proclaim And so they come back, they return, verse 10, and they report to him all that they had done, but he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. In ministry too, as far as it's depending on God's provision and receiving it in the community that, that God calls us to serve, he also says, come apart and rest a while. Mark's gospel is a little more explicit on this. But for ministry parameters, there is a time to serve and there is a time to rest. And so Jesus took the apostles and withdrew. It was break time. Rest was needed. But when the crowds learned of it, he welcomed them. Jesus, it's his turn again. Hospitality. And what does Jesus do? The same thing he had sent the apostles to do. Spoke to them of the kingdom and cured those in need of healing. It's kingdom and it's wholeness. This new creation signpost that says King Jesus is all and he will restore what has been broken. Many ways this is the Lord's prayer in action. The Lord's prayer in action is it's the kingdom, it is the the restoration, it is the forgiveness, and it is acknowledging that Jesus Christ is Lord over all. And so as we wrap this up, let's conclude with the Lord's Prayer. Let's stand together as we pray this. Hopefully, most of us still remember it. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen.